and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. And welcome. It is our first general election special and it is not just myself, Simon and the eponymous Millsy. I'd like to introduce the Conservative candidate for Portsmouth South, Donna Jones. Welcome. Hello. The first, our first female guest on the pod, I think, Simon. Yes. So, well, I do so like to be a first. You so. are <laughs> blaz- blazing a trail. And um, so, Donna, introduce yourself and um, how did you come to get into politics? Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. A pleasure to be here this morning, particularly to meet uh, Millsy, uh, the beautiful, beautiful retriever dog that uh, lives here with Ian. Um, so how did I get into politics? Well, uh, I had two children, one in 2003 and one in 2005, and I'd worked in banking up until that point. Uh, and I had a career break, which I was very lucky to have sort of two or three years off with the kids. And then I did <clears throat> um, the FSA change a lot of the banking regulation uh, when uh, I had my career break. Um, so I had to retake a number of my uh, banking investment exams. I did that for 12 months. I went back to work uh, and I really, really didn't like it at all. Um, actually, my priorities having had kids are completely changed. I wanted to give something back, um, chasing profits and, you know, looking at the share price of your company just didn't really appeal to me at all anymore. Um, and so I gave up my, my job, my career. Um, I started volunteering. I became a magistrate. Um, and when I was appointed, I was the youngest magistrate in the country. Uh, I was 27 when I was appointed. Um, and there happened to be a by-election in Drayton and Farlington Ward, in the ward where I live. Um, and someone came and knocked on my door, Councillor Simon Bosher. And he said, Donna, uh, you know, he didn't actually know me, but hello, Mrs Jones, um, do you normally vote Conservative? And I said, well, yes, I do. And actually, I'd quite like to get involved. And within a year, I was Deputy Chairman of Portsmouth North Conservatives. Within two or three years, I was running Penny Morden's um, 2010 general election campaign. And I worked for Penny after she was first elected. Um, And here I am now sat before the two of you. So that's kind of my story, really. And in the exciting ward. The exciting. Are you saying that Portsmouth North isn't an exciting? It's, I'm saying it is exciting in a way, but not in the same way. Of the great three-way challenge leaders of all the main parties yeah. going head to head in Portsmouth South. Yes, it is an interesting. It, I, I find it interesting that the, the the media haven't really kind of picked up on more of that. There's there's quite an interesting thing that it is all of the leaders in of the respective parties in the in the council that are the candidates. Yeah, well, yes. I tell you, the um, am I allowed to mention other news channels on on the uh, on the blog? <laughs> yeah, we're not beholden to um, advertising <laughs> shareholders or yeah, or yeah. Well, the BBC have definitely picked up on it. Um, they had me on the politics show two weeks ago on a Sunday morning. Um, they've had Gerald Vernon Jackson on. I'm I'm sure Stephen will be going on at some point. So, I think they've you know they have certainly focused in on the fact that it's a very close three way marginal, mm-hmm. um, and uh, as have a number of national political um, you know. Web websites and pollsters and everything else so we have had lots of attention and speculation but for me having lived in Portsmouth all my life in particular you know I lived in Portsmouth South I was born at St Mary's I'm a very local person um you know it's it's going to be a very interesting election here and the good thing for me is whatever the outcome uh well with the exception of the Brexit party candidate whatever the outcome the other four candidates standing are all Pompey people uh whilst Gerald wasn't born here he's he's lived here for years and he's served the city for years and you know so it looks very very likely that um that our next MP will be someone from our city which I think is really important thanks excellent Excellent. 
And so we've got the big question, the, the question that Simon and I have wasted lifetimes scuffling over. <laughs> the Brexit question. The B word. The B word. And it's not Boris. It's not <laughs> Boris. It's not Boris. So where do you stand on the big question, Donna? Well, for most people, um, for almost everybody listening to this, because I'm sure they're going to be politicos, they will know. But for those few that don't, I am a committed Brexiter. Um, I do think that Britain's interests long term will be best placed outside of the European Union. Um, I led the Vote Leave campaign across Portsmouth in 2016. Um, and so for the first time in my life on a political street store, I was wearing red, which I felt very mm. uncomfortable with. Um, but uh, as were the um, a lot of the Labour people who were campaigning for Remain wearing blue. So we had chuckles in Palmerston Road, for example, we were all running our street stores, <laughs> kind of looking at each other with puzzled faces, pointing fingers and giggling. Are we in an alternate universe? Was that yeah, the case? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Parallel world. Um, but uh, red's a colour I, uh, I often don't wear for, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, but actually, yes, I mean, you know, I do appreciate there are really strong arguments on both sides of leave and remain. Um, and, you know, I, I feel slightly sad about the way things have played out in the country and how divisive and divided people have been over this um, it, it, on all sides. No blame at all. It's, it's you know, across across all, all spectrums. But um, yes, if I am elected to represent the people of Portsmouth South, I will absolutely be voting to uphold um, the outcome of the largest vote the country has ever had um, in the referendum in 2016, where 17.4 million people said they wanted us to leave the European Union. So I'm a Democrat. I value democracy uh, very strongly, and I will definitely be upholding that outcome if I'm representing the good people of Portsmouth South. No ambiguity there. That's... No. No surprises. No, no, no. no <laughs> I haven't changed my No, no, there, was, there wasn't, there wasn't <laughs> we, going to be a, we sudden, a sudden switch yeah, yeah, in, suddenly, in the last suddenly, two weeks of the campaign. Suddenly Simon brings out the jammy dodgers and oh my. Yes, no, come no, on, hasn't come happened. on, come on. Hasn't Second happened. vote, come on. So, um, <laughs> have a biscuit. Yeah. Yeah. I, is that trying to bribe an official? I don't, can you do that? I, I, well, there's more problems with political candidates trying to bribe or treat voters than there are... Voters you know, trying to bribe But I don't think that a jammy dodger is kind of something that the Electoral Commission are going to get too overly worried no, about. Chocolate fingers, maybe. Like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I might have to have one of those. No, no, after. No, no, no. That's a step too far. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll go with that. So now it's time for the the return of the Pompey Politics Podcast Pot of Pondering. Yeah. I shall hand you over to Potmaster, <laughs> Mr. Simon. Yes. We need to get you a jingle created for that. Yeah, we, we, we need several jingles <laughs> yeah. just, just to stop actually Ian trying to sing them. So um, so we have a list of nine questions that have been carefully curated and, and prepared and assembled in our usual impossible to open post folded post-it notes um, in our pot of pondering. Right. So Donna, please choose away your first question. Lucky diff, isn't it? It is. Right, so which one have we got? Okay, so the first question is... Question five. Oh, this is the one beforehand I said I really didn't want. Yep. Name a policy you like most from your political opponents and why? Well, um, for the Liberal Democrats, it would be uh, revoke Article 50 
Um, the reason I like it the most is because I think it's going to lose them the most votes. Um, I think it's wholly undemocratic. <laughs> oh. uh, and also it puts so much clear water between us and them. So I think that um, I love Gerald to bits, actually. Gerald and I get on extremely well on a personal level. Politically, we have our little um, soft differences. <laughs> but on a personal level, he's um, good fun, good company. And uh, But I'm loving his position on revoking Article 50 because it's the most undemocratic thing that any national political party in this country has ever come up with as a main policy. Um, uh, for the Labour Party, um, I really, I can't even use the word admire because, you know, listen, their position on WASPy, this is a bit of a serious point, really. Yeah. Um, I have to say that my heart goes out. My mum's a WASPy woman. Um, and I, I accept that we need equality across the country. And I accept that we need to have men and women uh, receiving benefits at the same time and everything else. It's how it's done. The the implementation period, the notice, you know, the notice period that people had. Has that been long enough for women to be able to backfill? And bearing in mind, there are people in this country right now, like my mum, who didn't really start, she didn't really start earning a, what I would call a proper wage and a career when she started working for, pains me to say this, Johnson Press, um, uh, until she was probably in her, I don't know, maybe 48, 49, 50. So a huge part of her career had gone already yeah. where she was doing part-time jobs. She was a dance teacher at Southdowns College. And, you know, and, and then, as I say, she worked for the Portsmouth News. Um, and then she she remarried someone and moved to Sheffield. And she, you know, also works for uh, in the advertising team up at um, the Sheffield Star. But, you know, for me, which is a Johnson Press paper as well. Um, so for me, I, I admire, I suppose I do admire the aspiration, but I, I am very concerned that what Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party are doing is raising expectations, wholly unfunded. You know, it's a huge amount of money. If money grew on trees, as Corbyn thinks it does <laughs> quite often, then we would all be saying, yes, let's do it. But Let's hope there's some movement somewhere along the line for the WASPy women. Um, I do, uh, you know, appreciate their their plight. It's a very, it's definitely something for central government and not local government, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but um, good luck to the women, and I'm sorry to for anyone who's going through any hardship there. I really am. So is that an issue that if you were successful, you potentially might look to pick up from within Parliament? Only if it's costed. You know, I would be pushing to speak to you know the Chancellor, um, Saj. Um, you know, I I know Sajid, um, and to speak to the Treasury team if we do form a government going forward. If I was elected and there was a different government, a government of a different colour, Labour or a Labour SNP coalition, God forbid, um, then uh, I would yeah absolutely you know be push if if the Labour Party say that they can fully cost it and I think it's only I mean what did Jeremy Corbyn say last Sunday he said uh, through reserves and through borrowing um, but he didn't know what the reserves were and he so basically it's going to be almost wholly borrowing well you know the deficit was almost well I think it was 10% of GDP um, growth domestic product in 2010 when the Conservatives took back over we've cleared up the economy like we do every time after there's been a Labour government it's now 1.2 1.3% of GDP um, the deficit so we've reduced it by 90% over the last nine years. And listen, as someone who ran a council who has been directly involved in delivering public services and with legal statutory responsibility on my shoulder for adult social care and children's social care, something I could have been directly prosecuted as could our, our director of children's social care and our chief executive if we were remiss in our roles directly. Um, I understand fully how hard public services have had it over the last nine years. 
But for people who aren't that into economics, the alternative of not doing what we've had to do and what we did do um, would have been, you know, interest rates uh, increasing, the value of the pound dropping, you know, inflation would have gone up, the cost of living would have gone up. And I truly believe that economically this country would not now still be the fifth largest economy in the world. I think this country would have been in a in a very, very much uh, worse position um, because it would have directed everybody in their pockets. And what the government, the Conservative coalition and um, and conservative um, minority government have tried to do over the last nine years is to is to address that situation now I'm delighted that we are we've pulled our belts in and I'm delighted that we're now letting our belts out a little bit and we're going to start spending on the NHS and on education and on policing I have listen I wholly wholly support that um, so yeah the, the, the amount of national borrowing under Labour I think is going to undo so much pain and good work that I'm, people have I'm taken. Andrew, are you here? I'm, I'm, I'm going to just pause you at that point no as you head off towards Labour and invite you to shake the pot, Simon. <laughs> but what's we learned? Great. Thank Great you. Of course, no, appreciate that. Right, okay, next question is... Question eight, what do you admire most about one of the candidates standing against you? What do I admire most about one of the candidates standing against me? Um, probably just because of personal adversity and suffering and stuff throughout his life, Stephen George. Um, and it's not for me to talk about Stephen's personal circumstances here and his backstory. And I'm hoping that maybe you, you might talk to him at some point um, or he, you know, he he has shared his own personal story over the years. But um, he is a gentleman who has gone through an awful lot in his life and is standing up to highlight causes that he believes are wrong and unjust. Uh, we may or may not agree with that. But listen, that, you know, he's been through a huge amount um, is being incredibly courageous uh, and I think the fact that in this country people are able to anyone can stand for election we live in a democracy uh, and we have freedom of speech is one of the things that underpins us as a truly civilized society I don't think we've got Stephen George on the invite list we well we kind of try to focus on the major on parties we'll we'll see how we kind of get on there's times kind of cracking away isn't it kind of it's going to be... Yeah, the countdown to the election. I know, it's going to be it's, here before you know it. Yeah. 12 days. It's a bit like Christmas, but depending on what the result is, it's a different kind of unwrap and enjoy. Yeah. 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 One of us yeah. is going to have a very figgy pudding. One of us is going to find a lump of coal. One of us is just going to get a, you know, a WH Smith voucher or something. Or Not that there's anything wrong with WH Smith. Um, you know, or a Woolworths voucher. That's probably about as much use. <laughs> Right, well, the next question, question nine, is do you think the NHS will always remain free at the point of use? Um, and that's one that I'm really pleased to have picked out, actually, um, something I feel strongly about. Yes, I do, for British citizens, British nationals, and for people who have lived in this country, paid into our national insurance system, um, and pay income tax and do all the things that they should do in this country. So, yes, I do. Um, the scaremongering and the privatisation of the NHS, every single general election, we get the same allegations when it's a Conservative defending government, or even when it's not actually, you know, we've had 24 hours to save the NHS, stop our NHS cuts, we have all of these uh, things, um, and now it's, you know, uh, stop the privatisation of the NHS. Well, actually, here in Portsmouth, um, 
there is a private contract that's involved in the Portsmouth Hospital's NHS Health Trust. Um, it does affect our delivery of, um, of health services to people across Portsmouth and the surrounding area. Um, and it has absolutely strangulated um, Portsmouth NHS Hospital Trust budgets for you know a number of years now, for over 10 years. And that is our PFI contract at, at QA, the Private Finance Initiative contract. And that is uh, a contract, for those people that aren't aware of the details of it, that um, was signed in 2005 to do rebuild a hospital at QA, yep. a £256 million rebuild uh, that was completed in 2009. It wasn't just about rebuilding a hospital. Hospital. It's also there to deliver the management, um, so the facilities management of the running of the hospital and its upkeep and everything else and the car parks and everything every day. Um, and actually, uh, it should have cost over the 34 years of the contract £1 billion, but in fact, it is hugely overspent and will end up being £1.7 billion. And Carillion were the PFI provider until they ran into financial difficulties earlier this year, or was it even last year, maybe? It was last uh, year. Last year. Um, and now that's been um, uh, sourced out and another company have taken it over. Now that is a private contract that is absolutely operational in the city right now and will be for another 20 odd years. I'm sad about that. Signed by Labour, a contract negotiated by Labour. Um, it's tied the hands of that hospital for a number of years. I don't like PFI contracts. We've got a terrible PFI contract at Portsmouth City Council which, which, uh, which um, runs our roads and I should quantify not the actual contract um, providers themselves, Colas and the job that they do, which on the whole is very good. So, what you know, just yep. put that in the caveat for Colas in their defence. They work very hard. It's not their fault. They're doing the job that they've been asked to do. It was actually the wording of the contract in the beginning. So, I'm not a fan of PFIs. I think they tie your hands for a really long time. And as a council leader, as a previous council leader from 2014 to 2018, when I was first woman or say talking about uh, first woman um to be the leader of Portsmouth council um you know i know that the flexibility that i had um across all of our budgets to uh be able to adapt to the current financial situation was because we hadn't um you know contracted away uh, public services we brought in fact we brought more things in-house under my leadership um so yes um for me nhs privatization is rubbish it's not going to happen uh in a in a post brexit world when britain is negotiating trade deals around the world in particular with mr trump if he remains president next year and also with um you know the american people um the nhs we've heard it from the Prime Minister Boris Johnson, you know, I'm telling you here now, I would not support anything that meant that our revered NHS was, was ever privatised. Uh, and, you know, I want to make sure that it, it gets stronger. And I'm delighted that the Conservatives are committed to spending £33.9 billion more on the NHS, which will lead to 50 million more GP appointments, you know, five or six new medical schools set up around the country to train up over 500 more GPs a year, uh, you know, thousands of more nurses i'll just leave it at that um but many more nurses more physiotherapists and you know and more um professional people working in our health services uh because if you don't have your health you know what do you have uh so it really is important and i will do everything i can as mp for portsmouth south if elected to fight for our brilliant nhs and the staff here in portsmouth and i think yeah we've we've talked about it before on the podcast i think it's a uh... It's an area where there's always going to be discussions because yeah, from a purely numerical standpoint, there's never been more money spent on it. But with an ageing population, that is getting, you know, the ratio of people paying in, the ratio of people needing to be supported, mm. particularly in that social care sphere, that, that balance is 
the equation's only headed one way and it's not in, in the right way. Um, and it does sadden me that, that discussions about the NHS become so very polarised, binary. We almost can't have a grown-up conversation about how we're going to pay for it mm. because the emotions tend to come it, right to the it, fore. It's though. a shame because there's... Because that, to be fair, that's all, you, you're right, that's always kind of been the case. It's been an emotive subject that hasn't really had kind of a, a lot of sincere and honest debate. But the, the interesting, the sad thing is that it seems that more issues are now polarising and emotive rather than fact-based and, you know, evidence-based. So it's, it's kind of, there's a conversation to have, isn't there, about, okay, we want these services, we need to be clear that they actually cost money to pay for. Yeah. Um, and the differing parties have differing differing views about how to pay for that, mm -hmm. or about how to how to be able to deliver that. But we have an interesting kind of demographic situation where we have a larger, older um, demographic population that are spending a longer part of their life in retirement, uh, which is a good thing because that shows that overall health is improving. But as as time goes on. They're, those people actually living in retirement and requiring actually um, requiring healthcare, um, or indeed actually requiring uh, pension contributions, at the other end of the spectrum, there aren't enough people actually contributing into the tax yeah, yeah. to pay in because of um, because of actually how some of the workforce structuring is yeah. done now. A lot of them actually aren't in the tax taker, or a lot of them are actually quote unquote self-employed, but perhaps mm. not so much. Mm. So there's, there's a there's just this thing ticking away mm. that requires grown-up um, consensus approach rather than creating a political weapon out of it. Shouting. Yeah, it's sad really, isn't it? But I mean, I, I think the good news is is that, okay, if we just take the main political parties at the moment, um, you know, Lib Dem, Labour and Conservative, all three parties are wholly committed to protecting the NHS. So whoever ends up mm -hmm. being in government, forming the government, you know... Um, it, it looks to me like the future for the NHS is protected. I think you raise a really good point, Simon, about how it's paid for long term. Um, and that is an issue of economics and growing the economy and getting more tax revenues coming in and making sure that our you know industries in this country are supported, whether it be through green energy or through super fast, you know, broadband, which we're conservatives are committed to rolling out. You know across the country and improving because it's really not good enough at the moment the um sort of broadband coverage and speeds that we've got on broadband um so those are the sorts of things i think that we can do to make sure that we are generating more tax revenue to pay for the nhs because i truly believe it is you know the number one most loved public service in this country and the army of people that are dedicated my best friend um is uh, a nurse she works at qa um, and her husband also worked on coronary care for a number of years and, and he's now running at a separate clinic, but he's also a nurse at QA. And I see the hours they put in, the work that they do, and it's phenomenal. So, you know, big to everyone who works in the NHS. But yeah, delighted that it appears all three main parties are fully behind it, which is music to my ears. And I wonder whether, you know, and it's interesting, We just before you joined, we, we Simon and I were talking about it feels like this campaign and this election is the most polarised and adversarial that there, there, there's ever been. Um, and I wonder, whether, you know, what's your experience been so far in terms of, of this campaign and the, and the, you know, those background levels of, of noise, for want of a better term? 
Well, it's been a really interesting election campaign, actually. It's, it's actually quite different. I think I've been involved in uh, three, it's my fourth general election campaign I've been involved in. Um, and it does feel very different because as much as some political parties are trying to move the, um, you know, the main issue away from Brexit onto other things, actually, let's be honest, it is, it is very much a Brexit election um, because of how polarised and divided Parliament has been. And we do need to bring some end to that, some closure to that. And we do need to move forward with whoever forms the next the next government. Um, there are people out there in in our communities who are saying to all of the political parties, I'm sure, but certainly to us, never, ever, ever voted Tory in my life. And I and I can't believe I'm saying this right now, but we're going to be voting for you. I'm sure there are also, on the flip side of it, people saying that to Labour and Lib Dems as well, because they feel very strongly about Remain, for example. Um, so, you know, uh, it is a very interesting election. Um, it's been fantastic from my perspective to get out into all the communities um, across the south of the city and be talking to people. There is a lot of passion out there. Um, and actually, we have got a relatively low turnout in general elections in Portsmouth South. If you look back at the levels yeah. of turnout, you know, 59%, 57%, that's really quite shocking, really, isn't it? So I do believe that as long as it's not snowing or absolutely pouring down a rain on the 12th of December, I think we should have quite a good turnout for it, considering it's a December election. I'm hoping we have a really good turnout. Um, it's really important, I think, that people use their democratic voice, um, including younger people who've maybe never voted for the first time. I think that's also really important um and you know i i yeah it, it, it's been really i've really enjoyed meeting people i've really enjoyed engaging i enjoy doing things like this and doing the hustings the hustings have been great we've done one at the university of portsmouth um in conjunction with portsmouth news we've done one at st john's college um just a few days ago We've got another one, St Thomas's um, Cathedral, um, uh, combined with the Catholic Cathedral, St John's Cathedral, um, and we've done. Uh, we've got another one at Portsmouth Grammar School, combined with some other schools who are sending some people in as well. So, actually, it's really good that we're we're having an opportunity to talk to young people and maybe middle aged and older people about the issues. They can put their questions directly to us. But you know, I've always people who are who are into politics in Portsmouth will know that I'm very social media aware. Um, I'm very engaged on social media and I made a conscious decision when I became leader of the council in 2014 to be very open with social media um, run my own Facebook page obviously run my own Twitter account and that people can DM me and ask me questions and as long as I don't get trolled and abused then I am here I will answer your questions um, I do get quite a bit of abuse from people um, including throughout this general election campaign I've sadly had to involve the police because I've had people um, defacing and breaking and smashing up uh, my election boards and you know CCTVs being looked at and other bits and pieces it's a bit of a shame really but I, I wish those sorts of things didn't happen because it is democracy at the end of the day and there are better ways to voice your um, you know your opinion against somebody or a political party than, um, than committing criminal damage but you know that's life that's the community that's a, that's the world in which we live um, but yeah so I suppose from my perspective it's been very good to meet people. Beautiful. Excellent. That's well, that's good. That's all of our questions. This, um, the interesting, the, we, the other thing we were talking about was the, the last time we had a December election was 1923, mm. in which women under 30 weren't able to vote. That's shocking, isn't it? Um, and <clears throat> interestingly enough, the party of the day, which was the Conservative Party, called, called that election because they didn't have enough votes in Parliament to push through with policies to do with international trade and financial constraint. 
Well, there's a the thing. <laughs> right. Um, Is history repeating well, itself? Well, no, I'll hold that thought. Let's hope yeah. not. Um, yeah, because we had, up until, cause up until uh, 1924, we had four general elections in six years. Well, you know, look, we, we, we could be on track for that again. No, if there's a no, 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 we can't, we can't even, Can you imagine? No, no, we fundamentally refuse to. All right, it gives us plenty of material yes. to podcast. We, we love democracy, but we have to do it every week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's where we're at. No, well, thank you very much for coming along, Donna, and thank you for being our first guest. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on. Perfect. You've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. And I've been Simon Sandspring. I've been Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm still Donna Jones. Marvellous. Excellent. Time for the biscuits now. Chocolate one.